This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Buck Sexton Show. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to The Hut. We're joined by our buddy Guy Benson. He is townhall.com's political editor. He's also a contributor at Fox News and author of End of Discussion. Guy, great to have you. How's it going? You know, just rocking and rolling on Friday, trying to not have my nose fall off from frostbite. The huge. How about you? I hear you. Uh, getting ready for Christmas. No, that's a much better answer than what I gave. Look, see, Guy brings the the cheer, the holiday cheer to the show. Thank you, Guy, <laughs> for that. Uh, let's talk a bit about some of your latest work here on townhall.com. 68% of Americans expect Trump to repeal Obamacare. Um, this is going to happen, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think it should. Um, and so the poll that I'm referring to is a new Fox News poll, which had a lot of interesting little tidbits in it, but one of them was they went through a number of Trump campaign promises and said, do you expect him to actually follow through on these things? Most of them, a large majority of Americans said, no, they don't. And that included uh, mass deportations. That included building the wall. That included defeating ISIS. Uh, But there were two items that people do expect him to execute, one of which is renegotiating and reimagining or at least taking another look at trade deals. And the other one is repealing and replacing Obamacare. As you said, about 68% of respondents, uh, nearly 70% of respondents said that was something that they did expect him to do. Now, that is separate from whether or not they support him doing that, although a plurality uh, still did. It's a pretty Democrat-heavy poll, but uh, you know Trump's name attached to anything makes it instantly polarized. But uh, most respondents said they would support repealing and replacing Obamacare, uh, regardless of you know whether or not that's separate from will he get it done. And clearly, almost seven in ten voters expect that he will. And the reason why, I think, at least on the repeal part of it, is House Republicans and Senate Republicans earlier this year managed to use the reconciliation process that Democrats used to jam through Obamacare in the first place, which is a budgetary tactic, to get a repeal bill onto President Obama's desk that got rid of an uprooted most of, not all of, but a lot of Obamacare. Obama, of course, vetoed it, but now with a president who has vowed to repeal the law in office, uh, they can just basically do that over again. The, the, the map is already there, and Trump would be ready to sign it into law. It's the replacement side that's uh, more complicated. 
And talk to me a bit about uh, Hillary running up the popular vote. We know we've heard a lot about how the popular vote was won by Hillary Clinton and we should get rid of the Electoral College and all the rest of it. And people have said in response to that, well, that's not the race that was being run. That seems to be true of the Trump side of the equation. But on Hillary's side, there was a real sense that what they should win the popular vote as just sort of a just just because. Well, apparently there were some Democratic officials Uh, top Democratic officials who were worried, ironically, that Hillary could win the Electoral College but lose the popular vote. (laughs) And so they spent, it was revealed this week, millions of dollars, campaign dollars, in places like Chicago and New Orleans, where neither of those states were going to be competitive, Illinois or Louisiana, obviously, but they wanted to run up their tallies in some of these cities to make sure that she would win the popular vote. So they actually took resources that obviously could have been used in, oh, I don't know, Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin, um, and focused them in completely non-competitive states for the purpose of uh, kind of style points or, uh, you know, popular uh, popular vote pursuit, which is irrelevant to whoever, you know, wins the presidency. So uh, it's just incredible to read more and more of these details about the total political malpractice of which Hillary's campaign was guilty. And, you know, and there's a long laundry list. The fact that she never set foot in Wisconsin for the entire uh, general election, the fact that she spent very little time, if any, in Michigan, the fact that in the closing weeks of the campaign, her team spent more and and aired more TV ads in Omaha, Nebraska, than in Michigan and Wisconsin combined. Uh, She ended up losing all of those places. (laughs) So, you know, we can talk about Russia. We can talk about Comey. There are answers to all of those things. I think a lot of that is just frustrated scapegoating. But ultimately, you had an unlikable, untalented, untrustworthy Democratic nominee who Democrats rigged their system to elevate and guarantee that she would win, despite the fact that everyone knew she was under active criminal investigation by the FBI. And she also ran a really stupid, poorly run, wasteful campaign. And she's culminating all of this with a big, lavish party that she's throwing for her top donors using leftover, unspent campaign money, which is basically the most Hillary Clinton thing I've ever heard. And one of the things that I believe has really come out of all of this it has been exposed in a way that it's much more clear, although I believe it was apparent in the past, is just the the Herculean hubris of the Clinton campaign. They were so sure they were going to win. I think it also ties in, by the way, to Obama saying, yeah, I didn't want to make a big deal out of Russia because, you know, we figured Hillary was going to win anyway. Yep. They yep. all they really did. It's not like they were trying to create a perception of inevitability to help her win and they were worried. They were sure she was going to win. Yeah, well, they were drinking champagne on her campaign plane on Election Day. Tuesday morning, they were popping the bubbly already, so convinced that they were going to win. And they didn't. And, you know, when you get shocked so badly and when you lose in such humiliating fashion to someone whose disapproval rating was in the 60s, and, you know, you look at the exit polls from Election Day, Donald Trump's unfavorable rating among the electorate that elected him president was 61%. But about a a quarter of those people 
voted for him anyway. Because, you know, you look at the alternative, it was a change of election, and the alternative was rotten and perceived to be totally out of touch and a liar and corrupt. And I think those perceptions, by and large, are justified. And so they didn't see it coming. And when you get blindsided and lose to Donald Trump when you were fully expecting to win, you're going to lash out and latch on to any explanation you can, which is why you know, all the hand-wringing about fake news um, and, you know, the FBI. Now, this ultimately, this was about a bad candidate running a bad campaign in a change year in which her party uh, was not going to be the beneficiary of those general overall whims. That is what happened. And uh, everything else, by and large, strikes me as desperate coping mechanisms. Talking to Guy Benson. He's a politics editor at townhall.com. Guy, you got a piece on your site up. Surprise, vote count discrepancies discovered in 37% of Detroit County precincts. Oh, my. What's going on here? Well, we don't know. And uh, the Republicans in Michigan are asking for an investigation into why there were mismatches in terms of the votes that were tabulated in terms of the number of voters that were supposed to have voted based on the campaign workers versus the number of ballots they actually found in the boxes. And it was 37% of all precincts in that county. And in Detroit itself, it was about 60% of precincts. And, I mean, that at the very best-case scenario, that's just a third-world embarrassing electoral system that needs a complete overhaul. And, of course, whenever Republicans ask any questions about any of this, it's chalked up to, you know, racist vote suppression or whatever. But that's completely unacceptable. And while we're sitting here and, you know, the Democrats and the media are talking all about, we're still debating, you know, whether or not the vote was hacked uh, in, you know, a place like Wisconsin. And there's no evidence of that whatsoever, even according to the Obama administration, which is why, just quick aside, it's driving me nuts how so many people in the media and on the left are using this shorthand that the election was hacked, which is so sloppy and misleading. Yes, John Podesta's emails were hacked, and yes, it appears that the Russians were involved in that in, in some significant way. That is different than the election itself being hacked, you know, the, the ballot tallying mechanisms being illegitimate or compromised. That is not the case. The election was not hacked. You can say all oh, the Podesta emails were hacked and, and leaked and that was you know, tipping the scales in one way or whatever. That's a separate argument, although the Wall Street Journal reporting today that the Russians tried to hack the RNC and failed because the RNC had better uh, protections, apparently. Um, I just think the conflation of those two things is really frustrating. And, and we end up debating this phenomenon of which there is absolutely no evidence. Meanwhile, the story that you pointed out that I wrote about at Town Hall, this mess in Detroit is getting almost no ink whatsoever because that doesn't really fit the narrative, as they say. And by the way, the motivations of the hacking has been one of the more uh, pointed parts of the, of the debate and that the RNC was ha or attempted to be hacked, too. And who knows if there were other accounts as well that, that were uh, in some way compromised. I think it's interesting how people immediately fit that into the, well, they didn't release the information, therefore, there are a couple of things that could have happened there. One, maybe they didn't find anything that interesting in those RNC emails. That is possible. Maybe, you know, that, that's, 
Uh, yeah. I, I, you doubt what? I mean, look, if they had the RNC emails or if they have them, you're trying to tell me in the year of Trump there is not some really delicious stuff in the RNC's internal emails? Uh, come on. Like, there's got to be a treasure trove. I just don't know if they have it. And by the way, Buck, this is why I don't know where you come down on this. I am totally in favor of a serious bipartisan inquiry into the Russian meddling question. I think it deserves scrutiny. I think that the Senate Intelligence Committee is going to get on the case. I think that the uh, intelligence community that just refused to brief the House Intelligence Committee this week ought to get their butts in front of Congress and answer some, some questions. And we should seriously look at if and how a hostile foreign power attempted to influence right. a president. Right. A couple of things. I mean, first, I, I think you're right. I think that's already happening, though. It has been happening, and, and clearly the information that's been coming out of the intelligence community in the last, what, week or so is not the result of a couple of days of looking at this, right? The, the, the online, the digital forensic investigation within the IC has been going on for months. I mean, we had that ODNI statement back in October. And as to the level of interest of the RNC emails, oh, yeah, I mean, God, of course there's going to be people that are like Trump is a clown or whatever, but there's a huge difference that I think is really important for the purposes of this past election. What the DNC hack exposed was hypocrisy and lying within the DNC. Everybody thought the RNC hated Trump. Everybody thought the Republican establishment. I mean, if you get an email for yeah, if you get an email, no, no, no. I actually think I actually think it might have helped Trump if you had had Ryan's previous being like this guy's a clown. How is this happening? That, that's I'm talking well, about the I utility of the information, not the interest in the information. Meaning, was there anything that was overly damaging they could have released that was overly damaging to Trump? Might have been a little damaging to the RNC, but I don't think it would have mattered. And the Democrat side of things showing that the DNC was basically in Hillary's pocket and trying to take Bernie out of the race, that actually upsets Democrats. That That's a real yeah. that's a real Achilles heel. Yeah, no, and I, I understand the point that you're making, and it's, you know, we're, we're debating a hypothetical. Who knows what would have been in those RNC emails? True. Um, and, and there were plenty, in terms of the drip, drip, drip of DNC emails, some of it was significant. There was also stuff about the Clinton Foundation that was damaging, and, and you know, the, the Douglas Band emails and that sort of stuff that really, I think, went to this view of her as this sort of inside, this corrupt, cronyist insider um, but a lot of it was also sort of gossipy and high schoolish, and, and um, ooh, look at what they were saying about each other. That was part of it as well, and there would at least have been some of that in the oh, RNC yeah. emails. But, but again, I, I think I think mockery of Trump from the RNC actually helps the Trump case, whereas people saying that, right, that, that Chelsea Clinton is a brat and, and isn't actually trying to help the world's hungry or whatever, that actually looks bad. Yeah, if that's all that it was. True. And again, you're right. It's a hypothetical. We don't know. I was going to say, though, that we don't know, but perhaps you'll like the second point. I was going to make more. And then we unfortunately have to run to a break. And that is they also might use this stuff against the Trump administration later. <laughs> they, they might right. be holding on to it. Right. That's why we have to know what happened. And by the way, we know that the Russians hacked the Pentagon's email system last year. You know, like the idea that this is, oh, well, this is so terrible. This is awful to have these compromises. Well, who is presiding over all of it? Well, trying to reset relations with the Russians, not escalating uh, and, and really pointing out the nefariousness of what the Russians were up to because they were convinced Hillary was going to win. This was the Obama administration. This all went down on their watch. And w the fact that we're barely talking about that, I think, again, illustrates the way that the, the left so often manages to grab a hold of the narrative 
And, I mean, they all decided fake news was a problem one day. They woke up and said, we're going to go crazy about fake news. And we've been talking about fake news for the last two weeks, and Facebook is changing their entire algorithm and bringing in these fact-checkers. I mean, they are they're a powerful group, but evidently not powerful enough uh, to, to beat Donald Trump. Guy Benson is townhall.com's political editor. He's a Fox News contributor. Follow him on Twitter, at Guy P, as in, what's the middle? It's Pelham. <laughs> is it really? That's your middle name? Yeah, it's a family name, yep. Guy Pelham. I'm Buckman. That's the middle name for me, so that's why I ask. So I'm, I'm James B. Sexton. You're Guy P. Benson. Guy Pelham Benson. Guy P. Benson. Thank you so much, sir. Great to have you, as always. Come back soon. Thanks, sir. Team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, it's that time of the year when Christmas bells are ringing, which is great. But you know what you don't want to ring? Your ears from very loud noises. Which brings me to our sponsor this half hour, silencershop.com. Look, if you're going to be out there on the range shooting, if you're going to be hunting, you're out in the woods, whatever you're doing, when you are using your firearm, if you've got a silencer, it's going to be a more pleasant, more enjoyable experience. And the best place to go is, in fact, silencershop.com. They have the simplest buying experience you can get, period. They've got a friendly and knowledgeable staff. And they, you can trust that Silencer Shop will handle the process to get a silencer quickly and correctly. They do this all the time. They know what they're doing. And this is indeed their business. So... Uh, try to give it a shot. Go to silencershop.com and you'll learn more about the different products they have. You'll learn about how you can go through that process and get yourself a silencer, get a suppressor, and uh, you'll help make the world a quieter place. Your ears won't ring. It'll be nice. Ben in Toronto, Canada. You're on the Bucks Action Show. What's up? Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? Good. It's a little chilly here. I bet. <laughs> I got a movie quote for you. Um, I feel like this one might be a little easy for you, so you get bonus points if you can quote the following line. I'm, I'm sorry, what was the line? Oh, uh, I haven't said it yet. Oh, okay. All right, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Your father appears to be cooperating. You will be back with him soon. Won't that be nice? Commando. That's what he says to Alyssa Milano when she's tied up in the chair. I know what's up, dude. Bring it. <laughs> Bring it. And that's an action movie. Now, at least we got a guy. We got, Look, li- listen, T-Buck. We've got Canadian team buck laying it down with a real action movie. I'm just saying. He's not calling in with, you know, well, it's really a romantic comedy, but, you know, uh, he's keeping it real. He's keeping it real. Anything else, Ben, from Toronto? <laughs> no, that's it, man. Rock and roll. Shields high. Thank you for calling in. Shields high. I love we get the international the international calls going on the Bucks action show. Always fun. Didn't we have like Team Buck Uruguay or Team Buck Argentina or something calling once? We we had didn't we have somebody from down way down way down south? I don't mean like down south. I mean like way down south, uh, where it's warm now, right? That's how it goes. It's warm in uh, it's warm in Argentina now. It's cold in New York City. Uh, it is their was their summer, our winter. Yes, that's that's how it goes. 
Um, we're going to be how much? Oh, about 30 seconds. I think it's 10 seconds. I was like, oh, it's too fast for me to come up with a brilliant segue into our next segment. Uh, phone lines are open. We've got some spots. 888-900-3393. Uh, we're going to be joined by a wonderful author here coming up. And then we're going to talk some food historians. And we've got a fantastic cable news segment to pull apart from last night that some of you may have already seen. The show's going to fly by, my friends. So uh, stay right with me. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, I'm sure some of you remember our friend Elena Plott from when she was with National Review. Well, she's now a staff writer uh, for The Washingtonian. Washingtonian.com is where you can read her latest. And we want to bring her on to tell us about some of the stuff she's been up to at The Washingtonian. Elena, great to hear from you. Doug, it's so good to talk to you again. So I saw this piece and thought, oh, I need to hear about this. Uh, (laughs) Although I I don't know if I can read the title on air necessarily. (laughs) Um, the worst date in D.C. discussing Machiavelli with more of a, we'll say, a behind man. Five reasons why dying alone is probably better than going on this date. You do a, like, worst dates in D.C. column, right? I mean, that's what this is? Yes, every Friday. Every Friday, Elena does a worst D.C. dates column. And since I figured it's the holiday season, why not have some fun at the expense of anonymous individuals that we will not name and do not know? By talking about the worst dates imaginable. Can you give us some of the highlights from recent columns? I am excited. Yes. So actually, Buck, the the one you just read and had to censor yourself a bit for, I think has been my favorite thus far. This was a guy who, in his late 20s, showed up to a scotch and cigar bar to meet this girl who, you know, sent in the state to me in Gucci loafers riding on a hoverboard. He showed up on that. And then, you know, proceeded to say that Machiavelli's The Prince was the guiding principle of his life, which is a little terrifying if you know anything about that work. Um, but mostly, yeah, I think that it just kind of gets at how tragic dating in the district can be for a lot of both women and men. Wouldn't you think, I mean, shouldn't it be easier now than ever? Shouldn't it be more sort of straightforward i mean everybody's on these apps and it's it's the whole thing has really gone digital everybody that i know now that's out there on the scene is on one and there's so many i actually cannot name all of them but there is a ton you know whether it's tinder or bumble or you know there's all these different Mm -hmm. ways that you know there's i think does oh no match owns tinder but um, there's there's other plenty of no what's the uh anyway there's a ton of them i can't even think but there's a lot And you would think that this would sort of allow people to get a better sense of what's going on before they show up face to face. But no, in fact, there are still are there still are dating train wrecks aplenty. No. So from what I've learned in D.C., um, it's that most people, like you said, it's Tinder, it's Bumble, it's Hinge. Now there's the League, which is a dating app for, quote unquote, elite singles, um, whatever that means. 
And yeah, I think I think the biggest problem that I've heard about both from friends, both from, you know, working on this column is that it it just it's so many options. It's like you said, you would think it would make it easier to kind of comb through people, really know what you're getting yourself into beforehand. But when you have so many options, I think what it creates is very little incentive to invest a lot of time, care, energy into one person when if you get bored for half a second, you can just go on to the next one. And give me another, what are some of the other worst date stories that you, because you write about this on Washingtonian.com. You've got to, I asked, I I talked about worst restaurant experiences yesterday. Give me some worst date experiences that you've written about. So the, the column today we have is that this guy showed up to the date, went into explicit detail about how he wished he had been on the date with his prom date from high school. He's 39 years old. Yeah. And, you know, she's sitting there like, you know, why am I hearing about this? Why is this relevant? He goes on to say how he and his friends had had a bet in high school. Keep in mind, he's still reminiscing about this at 39 years old, about how um, he would definitely bring the hottest prom date. Apparently, she was that. And then he goes to read to this girl text message exchanges he had had just recently with this girl on this date. Um, a little bizarre. And then I've had people tell me about how they've had to coordinate with the waiters and waitresses backdoor exits to dates that were so bad. And they've just given them credit card information and left because it was so horrific. Oh, come on. That's, you know, a, a woman in New York once told me, and I swear this isn't a I've got a friend who story. This is actually true. Uh, she told me that she got up after the appetizer and just left. I feel like I feel like that's never OK unless you think your safety is in jeopardy or something like you just say. You know, I've got a stomach bug or I don't feel well or I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to go. You're, you're talking about Irish exiting on a on a one on one date. That is that is some harsh. That I is some so harsh agree medicine. with you, but I don't know. You know, I'm from the south. I'm from Alabama. We would just consider that a no brainer. It's just respectful. It's polite. But I don't know. You know, I went to college in New Haven. Now I'm here in D.C. I've lived in New York. But, you know, the game is a bit different. I think because so many things have become digitized, including dating, so many rules go out the window. And in this case, literally some of the daters apparently go out the window. I mean, they're pulling a yes. Batman with the smoke bomb here and just disappearing in the middle of things. That is I feel I feel like this is to, to the young members of Team Buck listening. You always have to say the date is over. You can't just disappear. OK, unacceptable. I'm really glad we reached that conclusion. Yeah. Did you have any do you have any other for, for the, the singles who are listening based on this column you write for Washingtonian dot com? Do you have any other uh, any other advice or any other sort of just musings on on, you know, life as a single in, in the digital era? I think just be normal. I, I mean, I know that's really maybe like a cop out, but these stories I get are of both men and women who kind of tell these very, very intimate stories about themselves that just have no place for a first date. I think the purpose of a first date is just just kind of see if you click with another person. I don't, you know, one guy, bless his heart, sent me in this date that we posted a few weeks ago about how the woman, um, the first thing she says when she gets there is the reason she was 10 minutes late is because she had to go get UTI cream. And it's like, why would you ever, ever, ever bring that up? I mean, just... You know, I'm sure your mother raised you to be a kind and respectful person. Just sit down and get to know the other person. If you click, you click. If you don't, you don't. There, there's really not much more to it than that, I think. 
Uh, let me ask you just to switch it up here for a second. <laughs> Obama versus Bush by the numbers, column on Washingtonian.com. What's this all about? Yeah, so I wrote the cover story for Washingtonian's December issue about how the Obamas changed Washington. And I had a really interesting interview with Mark Noller, who is the kind of unofficial statistician of the White House. And he took me through um, the ways in which Obama and George W. Bush differed by the numbers. So we talked about things like number of foreign countries visited, number of um, pardons and commutations, number of press conferences held. And it came to some pretty interesting conclusions. Like? I would say, for me, the most interesting was that, by the numbers, President George W. Bush actually visited more foreign countries than President Obama did. Um, You're telling me you know, President Bush liked foreigners, foreigners more? It's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. I know. Um, but yeah, the narrative, of course, is that President Obama is the first um, truly globalist president. But when you really look at how many foreign nations each of these um, presidents visited, Bush was on the road, um, or in the air, I suppose, um, quite quite more often than President Obama was. And then, of course, the, the second big thing, which is a bit more fun, but also a bit more troubling, is that Barack Obama has played upwards of 320 rounds of golf. And then President Bush was down in the two-digit you know two digit numbers because after, um, you know, they first sent troops to Iraq, he said, I'm quitting playing golf. I would hate to see a mother who has sent her child overseas seeing me like on the, you know, on the putting green or something while this tragedy is taking place. Of course, we see what's happening in Aleppo and President Obama still has no qualms about playing golf, um, you know, with celebrities in the Oval Office. So I think that's an illuminating difference. Yeah, I've actually heard people say that uh, the criticism of, of Obama's golfing is racist. So that's a quick way to shut down that discussion. Yeah, maybe we should stop talking about it then. I'm sorry, I forgot. Yeah, this about is that. this is how this is how it always this is how it always goes. When it comes to Obama, and, and just get ready for it. when he leaves office. Criticism of Obama's legacy, also, it'll all be, all be through certain lenses that the liberal left will apply to all this stuff. Elena Plot is a staff writer at Washingtonian uh, Magazine, right? It's a magazine. Yes. Yes. It is indeed. It is indeed not to be confused with Washington Life Magazine, right? That's something else. No, very different. Very different. Right. Staff writer for the Washingtonian.com. She is at Elena Plot on Twitter. Elena, thank you so much for making some time for us on a Friday. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me, Buck. Hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Mark in Massachusetts, you're on the Bucks Action Show. Welcome. Shields high, my friend. Shields high. Hey, so we'll start with uh, the movie quote Boards don't hit back. Uh, that's Bruce Lee under the dragon. That's solid, man. Good job. Wasn't sure if you were into the martial arts genre, but oh, no, I'm into uh, martial arts. I, I do have to say because there are people who listen to the show literally every single day that that somebody threw that quote out to me before and I didn't get it, but I confused it oh. with. Yeah, I know. I confused it with. So this is what. But now you just sort of outed yourself, Mark, as missing a few shows, which you know you're getting some demerits for that. But the uh, the movie Bloodsport, Chong Lee, who is the main bad guy, who's also, by the way, Bolo in Enter the Dragon, for those of you yes, who exactly. did not make that connection, uh, says bricks don't hit back as opposed to board. So that's sort of an homage to Enter the Dragon and Bloodsport. That's what I confused. But yeah, oh no, yeah. I love the martial Oh, cheesy martial arts movies? I saw all the Chuck Norris stuff, all the Van Damme stuff. I mean, you know, my, my mom, bless her for being amazing, even let me go to a few... And by a few, I mean like two 
karate classes. I was terrible. I was like eight. I was terrible. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every, everybody was learning to be a ninja in the eighties. That was the way it was. <laughs> so, Hey, but I also want to uh, comment on the other day. I actually tried to uh, call in the other day when you were having the huge technical problems. Yeah. Um, when you were, you were, it was, it was the post Don Lemon, um, show and, and you were talking about your frustration at the, the left talking about, Oh, the hacking and the rushing and all, you know, we have to be looked into it. This is has nothing to do with politics. And what, what was driving me crazy. So I'm, I'm in software. I own a software company. I'm, I'm also a member of OWASP, which is the open web application security project. So I, I have a very good understanding of this stuff. And, and to complain about the fact that one of John Podesta's surrogates was stupid enough to click on an, a link inside an, a phishing email it would it would be like somebody who uh, in their Gmail or their Yahoo account gets an email from the Nigerian prince who has a thirty million dollars. Yeah, I actually said exactly this, Mark, on air. So yes, I know it is yeah. like that. You know, you know, and so it's like okay, so they get duped, and then they go screaming to Bank of America because you know they handed the keys to the castle to someone who tricked them and acted as if it was the fault of the evil rich corporation instead of their, their own incompetence. And, and you know, in, in the same way the left was talking about the email, the email server with Hillary, oh, well, other people have done that before. No, having, having an AOL email account is not the same thing as having a dedicated mail server to keep it from, you know, public, public record disclosure. And, and it just makes me insane to think, for the left keep beating this drum over, oh, Russian hacked and they compromised the election just because people don't have the first clue about managing security on their own desktop. And it has nothing to do with some Orwellian, you know, uh, hacking um, compromise of, of some federal system or, or God help us, you know, actual voting, uh, you know, voting booths so, um, in, in whatever. I hear you. I hear you, Mark, in Massachusetts. So Thank you. Thank you very much for calling in, my friend. Shields high. Uh, phones are open, 888-900-3393. Next hour, I think we're going to talk about chocolate and butter, two of my favorite things in the world. I mean, there's like freedom and liberty, and then there's chocolate and butter. Which are more important? I don't know. It's a close call. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh boy, this is uh, heating up a bit over the course of the show. Uh, the breaking news about China seizing this oceanographic uh, research drone, a Chinese warship, doing it right in front of the oceanographic vessel, U.S. vessel, and now the U.S. is the uh, U.S. has offered, according to the New York Times here. A formal protest to Beijing demanding the return of an underwater drone seized by a Chinese warship in the South China Sea. So also understand this is very this is a sensitive issue in a sensitive area. Um, As the New York Times writes here, an incident that risked increasing tensions in a region already fraught with great power rivalries. Um, So the. 
The Defense Department official said that the unmanned underwater vehicle was discovered missing on Thursday when the crew of the United States Navy vessel Bowditch or Bowditch tried to retrieve it. The Bowditch is an oceanographic ship. Okay, but this is a U.S. Navy vessel with a with a, a drone doing research. Mm. So they seized a U.S. Navy asset, and they know what they did, and they just did it. And now what are we going to do about it? This is going to be very interesting. Um, Captain Jeff Davis, Pentagon spokesman, said this is not the sort of conduct we expect from professional navies. This is going to get tense because this is not an accident, right? This isn't like two ships collided and they can say oopsies even if they meant to do it. This is deliberate. This is a provocation. Uh, This is China acting out. And we will have to see what the administration's response is here. Everyone, of course, is going to tie this to the Trump phone call to Taiwan, understandably. uh, And that means that the administration has the built-in out of saying, look, you know, this is this is on Trump, even though he's not the president of the United States. So we shall see, my friends, where this one goes. I will keep a uh, close... I will keep a close eye on what happens here. I'm assuming the Chinese will probably return this after a few days because they're just doing this to send a message. But these are the sorts of things where there can be miscalculation and things can kind of quickly escalate, at least diplomatically. Um, third hour coming up. Got some fun authors and guests and such joining. Don't go anywhere. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. 